Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My guest today is Roddy Rockner. Uh, Roddy has been on the podcast before uh, in episode uh, 102 back in 2018. But Roddy, can we get a quick uh, recap on what brought you to Hong Kong and then Tokyo? Yes. Okay, Monty, first of all, hello. I hope you're well. Yes, my first career was with Christie's Auction House. I worked from there for them since uh, 1987 for 20 years in the Chinese art department. And they sent me to various countries, including Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong. And the last place that they sent me uh, was Hong Kong in uh, 2005, which happened to be the same year that I got married. Uh, I was living in Japan at that time. So uh, when I left Christie's in 2007, my wife and I thought, well, since we're in Hong Kong, well, let's stay for a bit longer. And we ended up staying there until uh, 2000. And, uh, I think 2016. And then we thought, okay, that now uh, it's time to either go to back to England or go back to Japan. And um, I won the argument and we ended up in Japan. So that was that was what we're doing uh, back at where I'm living in Japan now. Okay, so you were, I mean, what you were doing, you were, you were um, a wine educator in uh, in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, but actually after I left, after I left Christie's, I spent a couple of years just sort of enjoying life, and um, I did a few wine courses and then um, ended up importing wine into Hong Kong. You're a WSET certified educator. Yes. So I yeah, I did up to the, the diploma, and then at the end was teaching the diploma students in, in Hong Kong. And now apparently you're studying to become a master of wine. Is that is that the case? Uh, yes, that's true. Right. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I mean, what are the what are the steps um, required to become a master of wine? I think that when when I applied for the course, uh, you had to have a, completed the equivalent of a WSCT diploma, and you had to have uh, five years in the wine trade. So, and then you can apply, and if, if they accept you, then you sort of, you set off on this uh, this incredible journey. Uh, but those are the basic requirements, that you have a, a qualification that equivalent to the diploma, and you have a certain amount of time, typically five years. Um, okay. In terms of the Master of Wine syllabus, obviously it's a very detailed uh, document. Um, is there anything there that you feel is missing regarding Italian wines? Um, well, I, I suppose the first thing is that a lot of it is um, uh, when we talk about syllabus, you know there's a sort of theory side and you have to know about uh, viticulture, winemaking, um, sort of practical issues like uh, bottling and then marketing and then sort of general contemporary issues. But a lot of it is self-study. So on the theoretical side, whether you choose to look at uh, um, what happens in Italy or France or Spain or America, Chile, Australia – a lot of that is up to you, but obviously you're trying to get the broadest understanding of the, the world of wine uh, as possible. And when it comes to tasting, actually Italian wines are pretty pretty high up on the list of things one needs to know. I mean, there's a, there's a sort of understanding that you're, you're expected to know Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne in a lot of detail. 
but uh, you also expect to know about you know Barolo, Barbaresco, uh, you know uh, Sangiovese, Chianti Classico, Brunello. You know all, all the that, that those wines come up quite often. Do you, do you see Japanese wines making it onto the master wine syllabus in the future? Well, I, I could see. I mean, you know, the, the the one grape that's sort of probably quite well known is well, relatively well known is Koshu. And that's a fairly sort of, let's say, um, it can be quite a neutral wine. So um, if it was in a blind tasting, I'm not sure that they would expect you to um, uh, to recognise it. But you might be uh, uh, you might be expected to have a good stab at uh, recognising the style of the wine, which would be sort of light bodied, high acid, fairly um, a subtle taste. But I think it'd be quite difficult to recognise um, a kosu in a, in a completely blind tasting. Do you think it's a little bit like Chardonnay? It's sort of Jap- I kind of think of it as, as Japanese Chardonnay. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. Yeah, well, I, actually, I think of it as more sometimes sort of a. We we're talking about it. I actually had a very good example the other day, and uh, but it was only nine nine and a half percent alcohol, and so recently there because it is quite sort of low key variety. The people, the winemakers have been doing a lot of experimenting. And uh, they do a lot of sort of leaves aging and try and sort of build it up a bit. But this was uh, this wine was had no was not capitalised and no leaves aging, and it was a beautiful, fresh, uh, easy drinking summer wine that was very pure, elegant. And I think that's a style that people people could easily appreciate now. And more like a Muscadet to me. And someone said, oh, perhaps a bit like a, a Vino Verde as well for the light body. It's that maritime influence then. Well, actually, where they, where they grow them here is uh, right in, in, the, in the mountains of Yamanashi. Uh, so it's actually, this would be very continental. But um, but the light body in the slightly, yeah, slightly salty taste as well. Now, listen, when you were last on the show, you were transferring from Hong Kong and feeling out the uh, Japan wine market. Um, do you have any insights for us since you've become established or any changes you've experienced over the past couple of years? Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, it's, to me, it's, um, it's been fascinating to go from Hong Kong, which is a, you know, a, a, a city of 7 million, to Japan, which is a country of 120 million. And Tokyo has, or greater Tokyo has 20 million people in it. There is actually quite a long appreciation of, of wine uh, in Japan. So uh, taking the, the example of the kosher that uh, I tasted the other day, Actually, the winery that produced it was founded in 1937. So, um, you know, they have quite a long history of, of understanding. Uh, I think I wrote an article about uh, Japanese wine culture. You know, they were they were importing uh, Lafitte at the end of uh, you know the, in the in the 1800s. So, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's quite a good understanding, but it's not a widespread understanding. It's quite still quite a niche a niche market here. What I noticed the big difference with 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 Hong Kong is that there's incredible depth of knowledge here. People, the professionals that you meet here, are incredibly uh, knowledgeable about the wine. They're experienced, and you know people have been, uh, let's say, the sommeliers you meet here. They may be working in the same restaurant for twenty or thirty years. So there's that sort of longevity. But it, it, I say a, a level ex- of experience that you don't really find in, in other parts of, uh, perhaps, perhaps you can say in other parts of Asia yet. Mm-hmm. Well, you recently wrote an article for Miningers on how um, Japanese consumers embrace online sales. What what are the cultural or structural factors making this the case? 
Yeah, I, I thought it's quite. I mean, to me, it's again, it's a sort of um, sometimes you, you, Japan's a bit uh, sort of, uh, how can I say, you can sort of dichotomy. So, on the one hand, you have a, a lot of people here still use cash. So they don't shop online. So people wander around with with not hundreds, but with thousands of the equivalent of thousands of dollars in their in their pocket to, to pay for things because restaurants don't accept credit cards. On the other hand, Japan is the fourth largest e-commerce market in the world after the USA, China, the UK, surprisingly, and uh, then then Japan. So. Um, people are well before the pandemic. People were shopping online, and I think that's now just sort of starting to to take off. But one of the observations I had made was that it's everything is in place here. You already have this this very sophisticated technology, so that that's a sort of as a starter. But you have very simple things like uh, uh, home deliveries. So uh, and the example I would use is that when I was in England in, in March. I ordered some wine from a very famous English wine wine merchant. And when I asked when the wine could be delivered, they said, oh, it'll be delivered on Thursday. I said, what time? Thursday, Thursday. Okay, so you have to sit at home all day waiting for your delivery. In Japan, you can specify what time you want the wine to be delivered, and it will be delivered at that time. And it can be delivered up until 9 o'clock at night, seven days a week, and chilled. So uh, it's actually quite a, a pleasure to order online and know that your wine will arrive and the correct wines will arrive and they'll all arrive on time, chill, in good condition. So you haven't got that problem. And then you have, the other thing is that you, you also have a lot of, um, not a lot, but you have a very sophisticated, uh, what they call them, uh, uh, online shopping markets. So your Amazon. But there's a Japanese version called uh, Rakuten, uh, Yahoo Japan, so a number of these that people like to shop. So they're like huge shopping malls. So I think things are already, yeah, things are already in place uh, to expand on on what perhaps has not been a a, a, a channel that's fully exploited yet. So, well, so what does this mean for, or what could this mean for Italian wines entering the Japanese market? Well, I think that so the the, the big even before this year. Um, in, in Japan, there's, there's about 8,000 Italian restaurants. So that's that's where the bulk of Italian wines were being sold. The problem is that those restaurants are already saturated. So they, you know, they, they already have their wine lists full. Um, so people for the last few years have been trying to encourage people to drink more at home. And Japan doesn't really have the culture yet of drinking wine at home. They may be drinking beer or sake at home. But the big push amongst wine professionals is to try and encourage people to drink more wine at home. So I think that this online market could could actually facilitate that. And what we're seeing is that, um, especially at the high end, a lot of the sort of wealthier people, older people, uh, were actually uh, drinking Italian wines in restaurants. But now they can't go to restaurants or don't want to go to restaurants. Uh, they're changing to ordering online and drinking at home. So I think that the potential is there to develop that that home market. So you're saying that more people are drinking at home, A, because it's become acceptable, and B, at this moment in time with COVID going on, um, has that had an effect on the increased consumption um, off-prem? Well, I I think that what's happened is that um, two things. Again, younger people have probably stopped stopped drinking because they're, they're worried about their jobs and their finances. 
but uh, older people, perhaps who are uh, wealthier people who are, don't, don't have to worry about their jobs so much, are, are not going out, but they still want to drink wine. So they're, they're drinking at home. And so, so a lot of people that I talked to said that their sales for high-end wines had, um, had done pretty well. And the, the, the difficulty is, though, is because some of the wines, uh, let's say the sparkling wines here, the high-end sparkling wines, I've heard about Champagne or Franciacorta, uh, sell incredibly well in, in nightclubs. Um, so that is probably not going to be repeated uh, with home sales. But I can see high-end, um, you know, uh, Brunello or Barolo, those wines doing pretty well uh, selling at home. Well, there's a lot of potential, I would say. So I've got a, um, another question about, I mean, how, how do Italian wines fit with uh, the local cuisine? Right. <laughs> Is it is it a food and wine culture, or is it or is it um, you know food and then wine separately? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, to, 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 it's a great question, Monty, because uh, obviously that's something you sort of thought about. But first of all, there's so many different types of cuisine here, so it's it's. I mean, that's one of the great joys of being being in Japan. So whether you you have your sort of image of Japanese food would be I don't know that sushi and sashimi or Kobe beef or uh, you know, so that you've got that you've got two extremes there already. Um, but when I did go to a, uh, a sushi restaurant that had a sommelier, a wine sommelier, and uh, asked him about food and wine pairing, they said, you know, the, tr- the trouble is that you get so many small dishes. How can you pair? You know, you can't pair twenty glasses of wine. You know? So what they have to do is they they sort of maybe give a wine that will ma- match with two dishes. And this is quite unusual because the chef here was was prepared to make that that tolerance. A, a lot of chefs would say, "No, my food comes first, and then we'll think about the wine later." But in this case, he was starting to adapt um, his dishes to to the wines. But yes, I think you you could say my recommendation is something to go with something like um, orange wines. To be honest, if you if you if you're not going to go, you know, order a lot of a lot of different bottles or wines by the glass. And orange, I think orange wines do very well because they 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 are more flexible. But there there are a lot there are increasingly restaurants that will offer this uh, wine pairing courses. So I mean, obviously, you know, Italian wine is known is sort of made made for the food, isn't it? Rather than the other way around. So um, it's interesting to see where Japan sort of fits in or could possibly fit in with that that sort of model. Yeah. And I think so. I think that that is one of the things that people are thinking about is, is how how to do that with, with what people eat at home. I mean, obviously, it's less likely that you're going to be doing a, a, a series of wines by the glass at home. So you've got to think about what could be a more flexible wine. And, and personally, I find that these you know, the skin and contact wines actually fit very well. So your your company, Wells Wellspring, is still based in Hong Kong, I think. Are you still plugged into the Hong Kong market, or or not really? Well, no. I mean, basically, um, I, I still have the business there. But obviously, when I left, I told all the wineries that I was working with that I was leaving, and it's not possible for me to promote their wines in the same way. So uh, some hope to find other importers, and some found their own. Was the fact that you moved was that up due to the situation in Hong Kong, the slightly deteriorating? circumstances no that was um um I would, it was before the problems actually so um whether those are sort of political or, or otherwise um it was that was really we moved more for personal reasons uh, just to be to be near our families 
Sorry, that was you. So it was a family decision then. Yeah, so much more more family family related, and so uh, basically, I, I still have the business there um, as a sort of uh, you know for old time's sake, shall we say? But uh, I do more. I thought it's silly to try and straddle two to completely different markets, and uh, I'd rather try and get more established here. But I, I'm not thinking of importing wines into Japan. Um, I, I'm more interested in this. Uh, trying to understand the Japanese market and to help people who want to import their wines here or sell their wines here um, understand the market. Okay. Got two more questions on um, on tasting, which we skipped earlier on. So, you know, you're obviously a business person, but also a wine educator. What, what is your take on the differences between the old and the new format uh, for the Vinitaly International Academy courses? Oh, okay, okay. Well, I've been lucky enough to yes to see it in various iterations. So, uh, uh, and I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed all of them. The first was very much uh, the, the first. I think I was on the second course. Was uh, very much um, you know we had no slides. There was actually there was quite a lot of tasting. But I think the great thing now is that we we get uh, more slides. We've got two two spe- specialists uh, presenting to us, so we get uh, often. We get two perspectives, which I think is great, and I think it's probably more comprehensive. You know, we we're getting a, a, a the full full Italian experience from you know from north to south. So those are the things that I, I appreciated the change. They're much more comprehensive now. So as a kind of as a, as a teacher and a student, obviously a teacher for via student with the Institute of um, of Masters of Wine. Final question. What are the merits of examination by tasting? <laughs> when my mother's yes, I think that's that's that sounds like an exam question as well. But, but I think well, the, the 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 thing with the there's really nowhere to hide, is that when you're doing the exam by um, by tasting, because you you, know, you have to write about exactly what you you taste, and the idea is to be as precise and, uh, and succinct as you can, and, and convey what your impressions of that wine are. So you can't you can't really hide anywhere. So I, I think that's uh, the, the great the great thing about it. Yeah, it exposes everything. Cool. Anyway, thanks a lot, Roddy. Um, Roddy Rotner, great to talk to you um, today, and lovely to have you back on the on the show to catch up with all the developments. Um, in your part of the world and um, we wish you continued success with your business and we wish your uh, students continued uh, continued success under your tutelage great to talk to you and uh, stay safe huh? yeah thank you very much Monty. nice to talk to you again nice to talk to you already thanks a lot ciao thank you bye listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through ItalianWinePodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.